Hey everybody, we are back with another episode of Relational Leadership. Super excited today. My name is Stephanie Clements. And my name is Sean Daly. And Stephanie, today we are going to be talking about personality tests. For those who have maybe taken them before, you may have taken something called the Myers-Briggs or the Big Five, but essentially any personality test is a what is called psychometric battery. There's a good Scrabble word for you. Yeah, it's right. a psychometric battery, whereby through a lot of statistical and uh, scientific approaches, teams of typically psychologists have developed a litany of questions, maybe 90, 100, 150, such that by how you answer them, let's say that it's a statement, and then do you agree with that statement completely or not at all, anything in between, it basically goes and mines through this big treasure trove of other respondents, and it will tell you with pretty good accuracy where you fall across uh, a range of different personality types. So today, you and I, we both took one called the Enneagram, mm -hmm. another Scrabble word, and we're going to share our results. But for the listeners, you may hear yourself in me or Stephanie know that we're going to cover a few other different personality types and what it means to be a leader when you're managing different personalities. Right. So this is like stirred up all kinds of talk here just in my office today as we've discussed personality types. And it is almost scary at how accurate it describes you. And we took ours, and they didn't pay us to do this. We took ours at truity.com. Um, I ended up, you know, when I was done, and I did go ahead and pay, but it is a 19-page report that really, really talks about in depth, you know, from how I deal with relationships, how I deal with leadership, how how I deal with conflict. You know, it, it goes very in depth. So um, I will start off, and my personality type is an Enneagram 2, which is the giver, um, tends to be nurturing, approachable, empathetic, genuine, gentle, and altruistic. So tell us about yours. I was declared to be the perfectionist. I'd have never guess. You can imagine the attributes associated with that. I'll quickly just quickly go down the list of three through nine, so people listening can maybe start to feel where they might be. Number three is the achiever. Number four is the individualist. Number five is the investigator. Number six is the skeptic. Number seven is the enthusiast. Number eight is the challenger, and number nine is the peacemaker. I will tell you, when it told me I was a perfectionist, and I began to read through what that meant, well, naturally, there's a list of wonderfully positive attributes. Absolutely. The hard part is the second half of the report. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that points out your blind spots, your negative proclivities. And what I had to keep reminding myself was that disposition is not destiny. Correct. My personality is relatively static. I'm the same quote unquote perfectionist I was at 25, but 24 years later, I've maybe grown, matured. And so I still have the same baseline uh, inclinations. I've just learned to maybe keep some of the negative aspects in check. Sure. 
And, and that is one of the things that this report does is it talks about where your strengths are and what are areas that you can grow in. And because it's not just a straight up, when you take this, I'm not just a straight up two. I have other areas that are still strong um, and other areas, again, that are weak that it that it keys in on. Um, so it's it's really kind of it's fun to to look at. I mean, two tends to get along with almost everybody, um, but it's also being the people pleaser. Yeah. which can get you overwhelmed. And for anybody that knows me, that is very me. Yeah. Um, that I tend to end taking on too much, which is another thing that we talked about last week with boundaries, you know, and yeah. not, not setting all of those boundaries, but taking on too much and then you can get overwhelmed and bogged down. Yeah. And sure. then feeling bad because you may disappoint somebody. Yeah. So, as you were going through your list, um, you led with all the wonderful. Right, <laughs> of course. <laughs> and so, and when she told me she was a two, I quickly, you know, uh, Googled, you know, what a two meant you know, in this capacity. Uh, and then it said, sure enough, you know, when you are healthy and you are living your quote unquote <laughs> hashtag best life, right. you know, those are the attributes that come to the front. And then it said, you know, when you are feeling stressed or overwhelmed, the nastier side of that characteristic comes out. It says you could be prone to perhaps being a martyr, um, <laughs> perhaps, you know, guilt tripping either yourself, you know, oh, like yeah. I'm not doing mm-hmm. enough. Mm-hmm. Um, now we, we'll, we'll get to my, we'll get to my uh, yeah. here, right. But you know, I saw, I'll ask, do you feel like you've always been that way or do you think it began to develop at a certain point in life? I think in general, I, I probably was always that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really remember a, a time that I that I wasn't. So, um, and one of the things you know, as I've dug into the enneagram, is that your personality type and what you're you're kind of prone to doesn't change. That's right. So you know, I probably always have been a two. Now I'm almost as strongly a three as I am a two. So, um, you know, that's where it breaks it down more with that being an achiever and, you know, sometimes overachiever and whatever, just trying to get, you know, so, um, but I do think that that was the strongest, but I haven't always been, I haven't always been the healthy two. Mm. Yeah. And so, um, so you tend to do it for sometimes the wrong reasons, which you're just trying to gain love and acceptance and respect and, yeah. and whatever. And you're just willing to do almost everything just to get those things. Sure. And the disappointment that you feel if it's not recognized. Okay. And so, you know, I do think, you know, thankfully I'm a much healthier too now Yeah. and do it a lot more because I enjoy helping people, but I have, I have more altruistic um, motives in it. Sure. So though they listed one through nine, don't think of it as a list. Think of it as a nine sliced pie such that two is adjacent to both one and three. You know, yeah, imagine yeah. Going, around the, going around the wheel. And so as a two, I looked up and so with a three, 
is the achiever, which uh, seeks admiration and a big fear is being obscure or you know kind of relegated to the sidelines where you don't really feel you've got a needed. Uh, a, that's and, right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't feel that that purpose. So interestingly enough, you know, I am adjacent to you. So as a one on that nine spoke wheel, I'm adjacent to two. So as a perfectionist, I seek accomplishment. Like I want yeah. to be able to look back at my day and say, okay, I had eight things on my list. I crossed all eight things off or more strategically, I set out to achieve this long-term goal and come heck or high water, I'm going to achieve it. The flip side of that is this overarching fear of failure. Yeah. You know, heaven forbid I don't meet my goal. Heaven forbid I don't meet my objective. And I like what you just said earlier, the motive, right? Yeah. So what tends to determine the healthy or unhealthy manifestation of any given personality trait is what is motivating it. If you Absolutely. as a giver are motivated for those altruistic uh, you know, reasons, that's going to probably be a healthy application of the attribute. If it's no, 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 I've got to go above and beyond and work 20 hours a day because I'm desperately seeking the approval of others. Well, then that's where we get into right. a bit of a, a problem. And I, I know I can relate to that as a perfectionist, as they call me. <laughs> I um, So I did look up some areas of growth on your side and not saying that you're not any of the, you know, but, but being the perfectionist, you hold yourself to such a high standard. And then you can also hold the people under you to that same high yeah. standard. And it can be hard sometimes to work for somebody who is going to hold you to such a high standard that they feel like they can't meet. Sure. Right. You know, right. so, um, you know, so one of the things that was talking about at for one, you know, is, First, being kind to yourself and, and allowing and forgiving yourself for what you perceive as missing the mark. Mm-hmm. Um, two, being patient with others because they're not all in the same place yeah. that you are. And again, you know, as business owners, as leaders, you know, we can expect everybody to fall in line and do everything exactly the way we would. Mm-hmm. And there's other ways to do it. Um and then being open to other people's perspective. Yes. You know, and then have fun, you know, because <laughs> on my side, you know, I'm fun. You're the one that, you know, you got to lighten up and have fun. No. You know, <laughs> leisure is for losers. Right. You have fun on your own time. No. So, so <laughs> as you're going down that list, um, as I mentioned earlier, I think this is such an important point that, that we need to keep reinforcing it. Your personality is not something for which you apologize. Like none of these personalities are inherently bad. No. It's, it's being cognizant that it can at times point you in directions that are counterproductive. So uh, I'm, I'm the same perfectionist I was 20 years ago. Right. The difference is that now I am A, aware of myself, and B, I am more empathetic to others because my first couple of leadership jobs as a perfectionist, I employed this style you might call pace setting where yeah. it's all right, I'm going full throttle. You all try to keep up. If you can't keep up, work harder, run faster. Right. Uh, you know, with certain teams and certain competitions and certain contests and contexts that works. Sure. But it doesn't work all the time for everybody. And so as you're going down that list, I'm like, yeah, th- those are skills that I grudgingly 
began to grow and develop, you know, over a, a pretty lengthy period of time. But yeah, to this day, if I'm sitting in uh, traffic and I see somebody just cruising up the shoulder of the emergency lane um, and they're basically cutting line, the perfectionist in me is like, no, society needs rules, order, yes. that is not right. The difference is that now I don't have a stroke over it, whereas 20 years ago, my blood pressure would have shot through the roof. This right. isn't fair, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, and we, we see those people, we see both sides. We see the people who are going to immediately pull over and block you because, no, you're not allowed yeah, to well. do those things, you know, and I'm going to be the enforcer of it. Yeah. And then, you know, and I always say, I'm overall a, a rule follower mm -hmm. as long as it makes sense. And mm. then I tend sometimes am a rule bender, you know, it doesn't sure. make sense. And if we did it like this, it's still not hurting anything and it accomplishes what we need to accomplish. And so I'm not really just throw the rules out and whatever, but it's a guideline. Yeah, no, I, I can be a tad situational, right? So I, I'm in large measure. I, I do believe that when everybody follows a set of standards. It does provide some order sure. that tends to collectively benefit society, right? Now, that being said, when the Chinese you know, buffet says kids 10 and under are $7.99, 11 and older pay the adult price, well, my daughter was 10 years old for four years because- Right. You know, so I, I and will, she's little enough that I you will, were- <laughs> Like, I will admit that at times I would bend her in- Right, right, when right. It, when it absolutely benefited me. Sure. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not, you know, a, a saint or a martyr when it comes to that, but my disposition is always inclined towards follow the rule, follow the rule. Well, and that's, I, I think that that's what makes society work in general is that if everybody were rule followers, we wouldn't find out better ways. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, it takes the one who's going to go, no, I'm not going to do it like that. I'm going to do this. Yeah. And all of a sudden you go, that actually might have worked That's better. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, if we, you know, it, but you can't have everybody running off doing their own thing and there's no order. So That's you right. need, you know, so it, it really does take all of the types to, to keep society going and, and running and, and, and that's such like, that's a strong segue into uh, how as a leader, if you have any number of personality dispositions, do you most effectively manage, you know, that broad spectrum? Um, Stephanie, like you said earlier, uh, it's not like you are a two and only a two. Uh, there are other personality traits you have that are stronger or weaker than mm -hmm. others. But the idea that everybody that works for you has this identical personality uh, is, is not realistic. Now, I think it's plausible that certain professions may tend to attract people. The same types. That's yeah. right. right. Broadly speaking, a room full of astronautical engineers may tend to overlap in a lot of areas that a room full of uh, fashion designers might not. Right. right. But then they might have their own you know, you know, overlaps. Yeah, sure. So what, what are, you know, some things that, you know, you think about when you contemplate managing people that have personalities that are not only not yours, but maybe in some ways 180 out, yeah. you know, from how you view the world? Well, I think it takes, you know, I mean, I know in places that I've worked and whatever, you know, you do personality tests 
for not only yourself and your employees, because it does sometimes help you know how to more effectively communicate. Um, because you, you know, sometimes that's good to help understand who, who you're dealing with. Right. Um, you know, I had, you know, a child who needed very firm, clear, concise, you're not going to do this. You're going to do this. You're going to do this and do this. And that was how we did, you know, others needed it through, you know, if you did this, that would be, it would make me so happy and this and that, you know, and even though it was, there really wasn't this choice, Mm -hmm. it was the way you had to word it with that child or the way, you know, and so when you can go and understand those personality types within your own organization, it can help you deal and know yeah. how to approach those people because everybody is different. You know, if I I had one child, if I said, don't do that, you knew that was exactly where he was going. Yeah. <laughs> and notice right. I said he, but <laughs> yeah, we inadvertently out you know, right. close acquaintances on the show here. Um, so I will confess that um, the first couple of times I was in a position where I was hiring people, uh, I was looking like implicitly I was looking for people like me. Now that doesn't mean I was looking for people that check the same outward demographic right, categories. Right. I found myself looking for people that had a similar, you know, ethos, approach, worldview, what have you. And so it, it finally dawned on me that uh, as I began to uh, be put into higher positions of leadership and I was building bigger teams, that it was really important that to me, the diversity that was really uh, critical was a diversity of intellect, a diversity of opinion, a diversity of viewpoint. Uh, if it just so happened to marry up with other types of diversity, you know, so be it. But sure. I, I, I had to deliberately start to surround myself with, if I use this list, like I had to surround myself with, you know, type six, the skeptic. I had to surround myself with type five, the investigator, because if I surround myself and I build a team, especially a senior team that has a diverse collection of personalities, when a problem lands on the table, even if I'm at the head of the table and I may have final decision-making authority, I benefit not from having six other perfectionists around the table like me. I've already got that view, but having this diverse collection of people. Well, and the best leadership, you know, I mean, I am not going to be good at everything. And I don't have to be if I surround myself with people who have strengths that I don't have. Um, You know, so that's, that's a really important, you know, fact that as you were saying, having some of those other people, because, you know, you need, I, I I don't enjoy doing the books on my, you know, it's just (laughs) not my thing. I, I want to know where we are, but I don't want to have to sit down and do them. But there are people who enjoy doing that. And, you know, I need those people on my team. And then I need, you know, I mean, and we can't all be leaders. Mm -hmm. Somebody has to follow or we don't, you know, if you've got all chiefs and no Indians or, you know, all cooks in the kitchen, you know, it's just, it gets difficult to actually get things done. That's right. So, you know, you definitely need all personality types in that process. Um, because I've had people say, oh, I could never do that. I just want a nine to five job. I could never take that risk. And I'm like, and that's okay because 
we actually need people to work for us yeah. along yeah. the way yeah. also. Yeah. And, you know, just like I perhaps uh, was implicitly looking for people that had a similar approach to problems, uh, which I began to finally break that habit. And I began to deliberately go after people and bring people onto a team that I knew would have a different outlook. Um, when it came to developing folks, um, you know, if I had somebody that I felt like had, let's call it upper management potential written all over them, I was pretty deliberate in placing them in their next or next, next jobs uh, such that it would stretch them and it would get them outside of things that were natural or maybe things that they really enjoyed to do. You don't want to break their back and make them like one of them. Right, <laughs> right. But, you know, if people have a given personality uh, and you think that one day they may be running an organization and leading a bunch of different personalities, I think there's some value in uh, purposefully exposing them to different types of growth opportunities oh, that sure. force them to develop skills inconsistent with their natural inclinations. Well, and for me, you know, for my type, and, you know, again, it's the giver, but it's also very, very strong as the achiever. I need to know that there's growth potential in the positions that I'm in. I, I'm not good knowing that you've reached the top, you know, you, you've capped out, you've reached the top. There's no further place for you to grow, to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, you want to know those type because if you've got somebody who is an achiever, you will lose them if you don't give them, challenge them and give them other things to accomplish. Mm-hmm. So those are good things to know. Whereas you may have another one that is best as, you know, they love doing data entry. They don't want to talk to people. They don't want to deal with problems. They just want their one spot. And so mm-hmm. it does allow you to know where you need to give growth mm-hmm. opportunities and and start having them learn and figure out what they're best, they're going to be best at. Yeah. And, you know, when I was going through that list, uh, one that stuck out to me was the individualist, because while people may look at you know, the military and then a subset like uh, Air Force Flying Squadron, there's a temptation to believe, well, that is just such a conformist organization. Everybody are a bunch of robots that came off the same assembly line. And, and that's just not true. Right. right. But in, in most organizations, there, there is some degree of conformity required, right? That, to some degree. Sure. Because there are rules and, you know. Yeah. And so, like, when I looked at the one that said individualist and I looked at, you know, hey, on the upside, these are going to be the people that really embrace, embrace creativity and bring some of those new solutions to the table. Right. Uh, it, it tells us that they sometimes, despite how quirky they may seem, actually do fear perpetual alienation. And so I got to be thinking, you know, when I look back and think about organizations where there was one or two people that really did kind of seem just qualitatively different. Right. Did I really go out of my way to make sure that they knew that I appreciated how unique they were? Um, I certainly wasn't trying to, like, make them a round peg into a square hole. But I wonder, did I always make sure they knew that I appreciated just how unique they were? Yeah, maybe I did, but maybe I didn't. And and that can be on a, you know, case by case basis also, because some of those sometimes our personalities clash and we really struggle that 
the differences that they bring just don't make sense to us. And sometimes, and that doesn't mean that we, we shouldn't try to figure out what they're doing, sure. but sometimes that will create that tension if you're not in the right place and you're not really paying attention to the point that you shut that down instead of hearing and finding yeah. out what they really have to offer. Yeah. It, you know, there's a, um, there's a misconception sometimes that the only way that you really validate somebody's contribution is to accept it hook, line and sinker. And then that's not the case uh, in a professional working environment. When there is a problem with no clear cut solution, if you have created as a leader, the culture of collaboration, you may get five different ideas, but you're only going to implement one of them. Right. So, you, you need not always be completely accepting of anybody's proposition, but when you hear them out, you know, can you at least challenge yourself to make sure that they truly feel like you gave them the audience right. and the respect they deserved? And if, if they didn't have their idea come to fruition on this go around, if they believe that you did actually yeah. give them the opportunity, well, they're more likely to be an active participant next go around. And that might be the time where they've got the billion dollar idea <laughs> yeah. that saves the day. Absolutely. You know, I mean, and, and it's so important for members of your team to feel valued because if they do, they'll go above and beyond mm. and they'll look and they can take some ownership in it and feel like, you know, because one of the struggles I know that I've had as a, as a business owner is, you know, and, and, and it's true in the sense that not everybody loves your business. I mean, that, that's your baby. Not sure. everybody loves your business the way you do. Right. Sure. And so I have wanted to clone myself. I just need five more of me right. that really <laughs> care and are really passionate and yeah. really, you know, and that's hard to find. But if you create an environment that they feel that ownership and contribution and that they are being heard, mm -hmm. you'll, you can create those mm -hmm. and not, you know, it's not your exact clone because it's different personalities, but you can create the passion for it in there. That's right. I, I think that's, uh, those are wise words because if you've, let's say you have a uh, hundred people under you, but only let's say perfectly, you know, nine direct reports. And each one of them is a different personality type yeah. <laughs> in, in this spectrum we're talking about today. Well, it's not incumbent upon you as a leader to craft a unique leadership style and approach for every single one of them, right? Correct. You can relate to them maybe in a way that is more conducive to their personality, but there are certain things which really are universal. Um, respect, empathy, compassion. I mean, the low hanging fruit, you know, the, Sometimes it's really the easiest leadership things that we overlook because we get so gosh darn busy keeping all of the trains running on time. But whether somebody is uh, the achiever or uh, the skeptic, they can appreciate working in a place and for a leader who conveys that they are valued. Correct. Yeah. And I say we, we do have a comment about, you know, and we've talked about this in the past about, you know, that you're willing to do and put in just as much of the grind as your employees mm -hmm. and as those are under you. Uh, if they want to see that you are just as invested in that process. And so companies who put leaders in 
that really don't care about the organization can that totally changes the whole team underneath them because they will follow and they're going to be passionate about people who really care and you know again put in the same grind that they have you know that you expect of them yeah um (laughs) another you know cautionary tell uh, is for those who may be interested in doing their own personality test or maybe getting their spouse to do one or their coworkers to do one. <laughs> when I was a commander years ago, there was a personality profile called four lenses. Okay. And it, it, it puts you into four colors, like whatever, red, orange, yellow, blue, and each one had their own set of attributes. And, and again, I will say the one that whatever bucket I was in seemed pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. And as I looked around the room, the buckets into which other people who I knew pretty well, you know, were placed seemed to pre- pretty accurate. And the lady who was uh, doing it, who was facilitating the thing, she warned us on the front end, like, these are not meant to be weaponized, whereby right. <laughs> six months from now, you say, that's because you're an orange. That's the way. Yeah. Um, but it is, boy, it is tempting. It is tempting. Oh, yeah. Um, you know. once, once you kind of give somebody a label, oh, well, you're the perfectionist. That's why. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I am in, in the interest of protecting you from a lot of heartache, if you convince somebody close to you to take one of these, you cannot hang this over their head and then try to pigeonhole them every time they do something that you don't like, you, you cannot throw this back in their face. Right, right. I'm, believe me, trust me, do not do that. Well, we've had a couple of people, as we've been talking about it here in our office, who have taken them. And um, one of them's like, I don't know that I like this. It's pointing out all the bad things, oh, yeah. you know. And I mean, you know, and especially if you focus so much on what your bad traits are, then, yeah. you know, you do need to be careful about how you view it. Because it is going to tell you the good, mm-hmm. but this really does help you get to know yourself. Right. Um, again, I've got 19 pages and um, it, it it's scary how accurate it oh, yeah. describes me. Sure. And, and it does say, you know, yep. Um, I, I do have to work in that area. And then when it tells me, okay, as a healthy one, as an average one or as an unhealthy one. And I have to sit there and go, oh, where, oh, am I, where am I hitting right now? Right. And, and again, I, I think that that is worth revisiting in that nobody need apologize for certain personality dispositions no. because the context is critical. If, if I am with my two-year-old granddaughter and she is coloring, and I'm using that word generously. Sure. As a perfectionist, well, I can ruin the entire experience if I keep correcting her because you're outside the lines, you're outside the line. You know, so you you learn, right. okay, let that one go. But now let me flip it around. If you're about to go into surgery and let's pretend like I'm your neurosurgeon and uh, the nurse is in there ahead of me and you ask him like, well, what is, you know, Dr. Dollar? Like, oh, he's such a perfectionist. Well, yeah, I hope you so. You want that. Like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I want you yeah. right in the lines. Do not go. <laughs> yes. Do not go. Yeah. Yes. If you're the astrophysicist designing the reentry parameter algorithms to get the rocket ship back on Earth, I, I, you probably want a perfectionist, right? Right, right. But can you switch out of that gear when the waitress brings out your order and it's, it's off a little bit, yeah. or are you going to make the entire evening spoiled because right. it wasn't exactly perfect and now you're going to throw a fit. So again, 
Yeah. Our personalities incline us towards certain things as we grow and mature and develop. Can we learn to situationally, if not turn it on, turn it off, at least dial it down right. <laughs> when appropriate. Right. And that's, that's the path I'm on. <laughs> right. So just because your personality type is your personality type, um, you can work on the areas that created into being a healthy personality mm-hmm. type. Focus on, you know, find the things where it shows that you need to grow and and concentrate on that. But, and then, you know, the things that you're doing well, continue, you know, grow sure. those areas yeah. also, you know. So, um, so yes, it doesn't 100% define you and uh, it just gives you a baseline of where to go. But I do think they are good with using as leaders and, and not only for you to understand people below you, beside you, that sort of thing, but also your team in really learning about themselves, they may go, mm, yeah, I do see myself doing that. Maybe I could do a little better. Sure, sure. Um, and my, uh, I guess, before I turn it over to you for the closeout, my, my parting uh, advice is if you do take one of these, um, like Stephanie said, uh, it, Parts of it can be a tad unpleasant mm-hmm. because uh, you may read something that you know hits close to home. Uh, you may want to pretend like it doesn't, but on some level, it registers as accurate. Uh, what I would just simply encourage you to keep in mind is that just like with your physical body, growth only happens during the struggle. It's right. only when you're running harder, lifting more weights, doing more reps, when you're pushing yourself to the point where you feel like you're really struggling that's where all the growth happens. I would encourage you, if you do take a personality test, embrace that struggle em- embrace the discomfort because you may be looking at a mirror that's showing an image back to you that you, you wish weren't true, but embrace that and know that there's growth there. there there's growth yeah. for all of us because we're all works in progress. So well, we are out of time and um, really appreciate, we have, you know, comments and really appreciate those. And then, We have some really interesting topics coming up. So we appreciate all of you for watching and following us. We are on Spotify. We are on Audible and Apple. So please go follow us there. You can follow us here and also on YouTube and LinkedIn. Um, Share it if you liked what you heard. And that just helps us to grow and continue to provide good content So thanks again for joining us this week and we look forward to seeing you next time. Take care.